Welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. Today we have somebody I'm so excited to introduce to you. Her name is Darcy Campbell. Darcy has been the Executive Director for Cow Hollow Preschool in San Francisco for 16 years. She's also been teaching at San Francisco State for 16 years. She truly is one of the most knowledgeable, passionate, and articulate people I know to talk about young children. She is here today to tell you about the role of creativity in early childhood. Darcy, is there other activities you've been involved in lately? Lately, I'm taking a sabbatical from San Francisco State and writing a book and doing parent consults. And the book is called Real Parenting. And Real stands for responsive, engaged, aware, and loving parenting practices that remove fear and fantasy from our parenting so that we can parent more holistically and actually in reality. So that's my big news right now. So Darcy, my first question is pretty basic. What is your definition of creativity and why is it important? So I think it's an extremely important question and one that at Kauhalla we've thought about for years and actually done our own research. And so we have come up with our own definition. So creativity comes from, we believe, the capacity to make new connections between known thoughts and objects and experiences that result in innovation, change, and new ideas. Basically thinking of and creating something that doesn't yet exist. It's important because when we look at the creativity of children as teachers and parents, as something that is not known, not yet invented, yet connected to what they care about, it really changes how we interact and it changes our words we use. It changes the strategies we use to guide because we are attempting to guide them to not knowing. It changes our curriculum. It changes our timing of what to do, when and where and why. And it changes our environment and the materials we're offering because they're not closed-ended. They are not something that gives the answers to children. The materials we would be offering them might not have known results. And if we think of children as creative beings from birth, it's going to change our image of the child and it changes our role. And so it's a really important question because we don't know what tomorrow will look like. So we need to have children practicing inventing what does not yet exist. That was really a lot. Thank you, Darcy. Let's dig a little deeper into some of those issues. Like, what does creativity actually look like in a three and four year old child? Mm -hmm. So I'd say in the life of a young child, creativity is the opportunity to have wonderful ideas. And this is considered the sort of pinnacle or the, the crux of intellectual development. And so for children, it looks like unpacking and repackaging what is known and what is not known. It, as I mentioned, it can look like designing a, a new kind of garbage truck or garbage can. It can look like making a second story restaurant in a classroom. It can look like making a birthday party or a gift for a painting because it will never look the same, can't look the same because they're inventing something that didn't yet exist. In real time, the way we recognize this is one can recognize the signs of creativity and critical thinking as a moment of struggle in young children. When you see them shift, when you see them struggle, when you see them not know, when you see them take that pause before they have that aha moment. You see them extend a tool as it was not designated to be used. You see them change something, alter something. It's coming up with an answer to a question that actually embraces both fantasy and reality. And that's what it looks like mostly in three-year-olds, but also two-year-olds and five-year-olds. What can teachers do specifically, you think, to nurture creativity in young children? Offering prompts and provocation based on what children are interested in, because you will have the most success with children thinking critically and creatively and thinking outside of the box 
um, if they care about something. So finding those places where they care. So for parents and teachers both, what is it your child? And often, you know, parents may say, my son cares so much about dinosaurs. Okay, you're stretching. That might be some a stretch because dinosaurs don't yet exist. And there's something that, and there's a lot that we know about dinosaurs. So finding those things that children care about that don't have the answers to them mm. or don't immediately have them within reach for the child that they can investigate. I'd say probably top of the list of things parents and teachers can do is stop answering children's questions. I'd say that would be the utmost priority is just stop answering. And secondly, then guide them to finding the solutions and the answers themselves. Create strategies in your curriculum or your daily life as a parent to research and revisit experiences, to have children represent what they're thinking in whatever way feels comfortable and also what ways don't feel comfortable. If they don't like mark making, then it's time to use mark making as a way to enter into representing, but also to have those opportunities if they would like to dance or to move to show you what they meant by the wind blowing and where it comes from. Whatever it is that they have those authentic and meaningful ways that come from an organic innate desire to experience and re-experience and to create and contribute as opposed to just consume. If I were a parent and my child asked me a question and I knew the answer to it, it's hard for me not just to give that answer. Give me some real specific words or strategies sure. I could use. Sure. The child says, Mommy, why is the sky blue? First, you respond by validating that that's a really interesting, wow, an interesting question. What do you think? Well, I don't know, Mommy, you tell me. Well, I, I might have an answer, but I want to hear from you. Please tell me. What do you think? What are, the, what are the many reasons we could come up with? Often children get stuck in that they're supposed to have a right answer. So children who, whose parents or teachers have spent a lot of time answering for them feel a little sense of panic first. Like, wait, I'm supposed to know. I don't know. I don't actually have an answer. And so you might need to model. I think the sky is blue because the fairies painted it. So you might have to model not knowing and coming up with an answer that doesn't yet exist. And children often start creating something that is almost logical. It almost makes sense. It's blue because the water's blue and because the, the ocean said so. And you're like, you're getting close. You know, there's, and we might have children getting closer to logic. And I think staying firm. Don't lie to your children and say, I don't know. If you do know the answer, say, I'm withholding my answer. I think it's more important that we think of other answers. And your answer is as important as mine. So I'm going to wait. And you can wait two years if you like. You can just wait. Formal schooling will do a lot to give the children the right answers. We have this window in time where they don't have to know, but they do have to create. And that's where the learning happens. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Darcy will talk to us about open-ended questions and why they're important. And Dorothy is going to talk a little bit now about the OFS concierge services. Do you ever wish someone would cook and clean for you? I sure do. We offer you the OFS Concierge Service. Order food from Jesse A. Laurent or have your house cleaned by Housekeeping Delphine. These services are here to help the OFS community make your life easier. Remember, a portion of every food order and housekeeping service is given back to your child's teacher. See our website for more information and click on the Concierge button. Thank you. Has some other directors here with me today. Do you guys have any questions you'd like to ask her? Hi, it's Alexandra Dutton, director of Old Firehouse School in Lafayette. I want to backtrack a little bit. Can you explain a little bit about what an open-ended question is mm. and in what ways you can use that 
for parents at home? I think an open-ended question is really that it doesn't have an answer. And practicing asking them with your children, open-ended question could be a what-if question. What if the sky were orange? What would you do? You know, would it look the same? Would it smell the same? What if we, there's no answer to that because the sky is not orange. So they often have a different way or they, they don't appear logical. And it allows children to think that not knowing is playful. And so it's a question that doesn't have a known answer. So what if's a good place to start? Or if we could walk on the ceiling. I remember sitting in bed as a little girl and pretending that my ceiling was actually my floor. So like what those kinds of like, if the ceiling was really where we were standing, or how would we stay up there? The how questions where you don't have answers. So anything that you don't have an answer to, just like have a day of practicing not having answers. Right. And it, it does take practice. We're not, we weren't taught that way as parents and as teachers. We were not taught no. to not know. We were taught that it was important to get them right. And there's plenty of time in children's life for that. Plenty. Zero to five is not time. Having been lucky enough to have both of my kids come here, there are times where the children will ask a question and after a while of discussing it, I might give them the actual answer. And what I love is that they'll say something like, oh, I don't like that answer. I like my answer better. And inside I'm kind of doing a little dance like, yes, that's what I want. I want my kids to feel comfortable with their answer, even if it wasn't the quote unquote right one. But that's, I think, the gift of being in a school or in an environment that is allowing children to have a lot of time to think and create and discover and explore and that having the right answer is not the most important thing. And to be able to value that, to have be an environment that is valuing A, holding on to your opinion and B, that you get to have an opinion and that you get to hold on to that idea even though it doesn't match. Yeah. I agree. So that to, to my next question, too, is what would the future look like if we were able to give this gift of creativity to mm-hmm. most children? What would the future of schools look like? No, not I just the future of schools. Just if future. we gave this to them, I ah. think, well, as a an educator in higher education as well, I think I answer that question from the backside, which is what I, when it is not given to children, what I see is that, you know, if you look at the other end of the arc, we see that 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds are coming into college environments or into work environments after college and being asked to plan and think outside of the box or being asked to design something that doesn't yet exist. Our tech world or our medical world or even our education profession, all of these, there's we're looking at ways to make the world a better place and we don't yet know what that looks like and how to save ourselves from the mistakes we already made. And so we're ending up with college students who can't do that because the learning was taken away from them. You can kind of see if children have practice thinking critically and thinking outside of the box and very systematically have ways which the adults are gathering data on even the parents saying, oh, I now know this about my child and how they learn. So I'm not going to give the answer. I, I can offer an experience for them. I think then you end up with children who enter into form schooling with the toolkit for thinking and it's really hard to take that away Um, they will be able you know when their teacher in second grade gives them a math problem that they've never seen before those children who have practice in early childhood thinking critically say ah I don't know how to do this but hang on what strategies do I use and what are the different ways I could use this and have I seen anything like this before and they tackle that because they think that the problem seeking and the problem understanding is the best part about doing that math problem so they do them and even if they've never had any experience do them before because it isn't the formula it's the knowing and it's the struggling 
that they find interesting. And so I think it changes the face of education, but it changes later and when people enter the workforce. I mean, it changes. This is where we are right now in time. and This is what we need. And that ties in so much to the idea of the growth mindset, Mm -hmm. that when you're struggling is when you're learning. Right. And so allowing children at a very young age to understand when they're having a hard time or where they've encountered a problem, that it's okay, mm-hmm. that this is actually the good stuff when, mm-hmm. when you've encountered a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then running towards that because it's dangerous not to sort of become problem seekers. We need to cultivate in our children a generative, you know, a growth mindset, as you're saying. And I think we've talked to about how creativity is so important. Like you mentioned earlier, we don't know what the future is going to hold. I mean, everybody can access any information they want, really, from their phone or from a computer. So knowledge, like fact-based knowledge, is not going to be mm-hmm. as important as Dorothy has also mentioned um, at our open houses and things mm-hmm. like that. So we want children to be creative because what the world's going to be like in the future is undetermined, really. Yeah, definitely. Dorothy, we like to sort of end all of our podcasts by asking, do you have any books or media that you would recommend for parents and teachers of young children on this topic? Sure. I I was thinking about that question when you sent it to me. What came to mind immediately were books for children that referenced how to think creatively. So I spent more time kind of thinking, and I didn't write the authors, but they're easy to look up. A children's book called If, which just say, what if caterpillars were toothpaste? What if the moon were square? What if butterflies were clothes? And this wonderful practice for parents or teachers who are not very practiced at asking open-ended questions. It's a great practice book for parents and a good book for children. The other is Ish, which we get our children, a lot of children who are very stuck in being perfectionists or can do things perfectly. And it's like, I am good-ish at making a building. I am strong-ish at lifting something. And it kind of cracks open that perfectionist, non-growth mindset. My beautiful oops about making mistakes. Another one, um, what do you do with an idea? As another one, the dot, Rosie Revere, the engineer, about creating, having books about creators, especially girl creators, I think is an attempt to raise feminist male and female children. Say not a stick, not a box for your two-year-olds, just very early practicing. If it's not that, then what is it? Any book that offers an if this, then that solution or an if this, and I don't know what that is. Any book you read, I recommend pausing before the solution in the book is given to children. So really you could take any book, children's book, and turn it into a creative exercise by not finishing the book and asking the child what would happen next? Or if children don't like, I don't like that she gets caught, then what would you do? What should we do instead? And having children have a voice. I'd say for adult reads, anything by Daniel Siegel, documents from the Center of Childhood Creativity with the Bay Area Discovery Museum. They put out white papers regularly. And there's a great book, and I'm blanking on her name. It's called Raising an Adult. And she was a freshman dean of Stanford, and she ran across that same problem of the freshman students coming and not being able to do laundry because they'd never had to. And she talks about what we need to do to raise competent adults. So on that other end of that arc again. Thank you so much, Darcy. This has been wonderful. Thanks for having me. And thank you to the audience. This is Dorothy Stewart from Old Firehouse School. And this is brought to you by the Old Firehouse School team. Thank you for listening to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind. We hope you share this with family and friends and other people who will be interested in learning more about child development. And if you have a particular topic that you want to know more about, please mention it in a comment on our SoundCloud page.